Welcome to the IdleLink podcast. I'm JL Corbett, the editor and founder of IdleLink, an online magazine that publishes the weird, the odd, the curious, anything that's a little bit strange. On this podcast, I'll be talking to some writers that I've published in the past and getting to know them as people, not just as writers. My first ever guest is Courtney Shembury Gray. Courtney is a writer from the north of England. I know her for her dark, lyrical poetry, but she's also an accomplished short fiction writer, and her essays about food and online culture are devastatingly honest. Her poem, Junebug, appeared in Idolink in May 2022. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem. I don't know if you realise that you're the first ever guest. (laughs) I I didn't quite realise, but I suppose it makes sense given I think I'm one of the only ones in England, so it makes it easier to arrange times. it, It definitely does. I'm always up for talking to people in the same time zone as me. Yeah. We're actually not even that far apart. I think you're... Lancashire and I'm Yorkshire yeah pretty pretty much so but only about an hour away it's kind of estimated without traffic yeah on a good day yeah (laughs) it's kind of weird like I talk to so many writers and a lot of them like geographically are quite close to me but I just never meet any of them (laughs) so it's nice to actually talk to someone (laughs) yeah um so I thought it might be fun if because we've because we've talked over email and probably a bit over social media as well if I kind of give my impression of you as a writer and you can tell me if I'm dead wrong (laughs) yeah I'm well up for that I love hearing people's first impressions okay well we'll see if um if it's accurate (laughs) so my impression of you is you're kind of almost like a writer transplanted from a different decade like a a decade long past I think um because everything that I've read of yours well your poetry mainly it's sort of the language is very dreamy it's very um lyrical it's almost sort of like the romance of darkness in a weird way so that's the impression I have of you is that you're kind of from the past but you're not (laughs) it's interesting you say that because Brian Dunn who does Northern Poets Society every month um on Zoom he said the same thing he always said about the 50s mainly that he always thinks of when um he reads or hears my stuff so generally I quite like that I do like the dark and the weird and the air which is actually in my bio now I've just kind mm. of put it in there. Um, but I generally tend to like the, you know, Lana Del Rey, the Smiths. I mean, kind of cliche, stereotypical, but I've always liked the sad or the just the darkness, I think, mainly. Yeah, that really does come across. Um, I think it's a good thing, though. I mean, darkness can have a lot of beauty to it. Um, definitely. It definitely comes across in your work. 
Um, so, I mean, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, did you change your pen name recently? Because when your poem came out with us, it was Courtney S. Gray, but now you use Courtney Shembury Gray. Yeah, um, so I've always used the initials since I started publishing with journals. But recently, I kind of wanted to change. I felt as though I wasn't, I don't know, I felt things would be coming stagnant. And I thought the only thing unique really about me in general is my middle name because people often ask me about it it's Maltese my granddad is from Malta um nice. so I thought I would use it because it's something a bit unique so yeah I've, I've changed it now it's definitely distinctive um I, I was actually going to ask you uh, where it's from I, I didn't realize it was a Maltese name yeah yeah it's definitely nice and distinctive which is what you want as a writer <laughs> I yeah. imagine um, so I've been doing a little bit of research before our conversation today and I was looking through your Substack account, um, The Maple Moon. Um, to be honest, I feel like I've only started hearing about Substack within the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if I'm just really out of the loop. Um, it seems like it's a new venture for you as well. Is it quite recent that you started that? Yeah, um, it's actually kind of similar for me. I only really heard about it a couple of months ago. I believe it's been going since about 2018, 2019, but I think a lot more people oh, wow. are using it now. And so it's definitely the same for me. But in recent weeks, I just decided I, want, I wanted to do a bit more of food writing. I like to bake and I'm going to start baking again soon. But then when I started writing the Substack, it kind of went out into different subjects. So it's food writing but also um you know pop culture internet culture things to do with the writing community and everything you can think of really yeah it was really um interesting to go through it all on there because I I don't think I've read any of your essays before um I've read everything that was on there now <laughs> but I think you've published a couple more since then um I certainly hadn't read anything about um the the food stuff that you've been doing it's not really an area that I'm that well read on um sort of the links between food and, and memories and trauma uh, what made you want to write on that subject well it's it's pretty much been a talking point between me and my mum it's kind of where I've, I've been severely ill weirdly for the last for sort of the end of the year for the last about three four years Oh, unfortunately so I've had like bouts of illness and there's always been something that's made me and I've always been like this since I was a kid where if the thing that I would say I was reading a book when I was ill that book for a while just reminds me of that time of illness so at the, the last time it was a perfume that I wore on the day that I got ill and so for a while I couldn't smell it and then with my mum she has chronic migraines and when she was a kid there was she had a toffee apple when she got a migraine once and now she can't. She, we saw them in the supermarket the other week and she instantly wants to vomit because it oh, just wow. it's such a strong memory. So it's almost like like a sense memory, but then with your mum, yeah, it, it's yeah. causing an aversion almost. Yeah, it is basically kind of aversion, which is what I write about because that's essentially what they do in The Clockwork Orange, which is, you know, they make him watch the violent stuff, which is what he would normally love but they pump him full of chemicals to make him nauseous, to associate the nausea with 
the violence and that's supposed to treat his, um, you know, ultra-violent tendencies. Yeah, no, I I read the book probably about 10 years ago now and um, all the stuff with the... Um, with the food aversions in there and it it was almost visceral like it was very difficult to read yeah so I saw on you on there as well so you've got the food essays and as you mentioned as well a lot about the online community and the whole nature of that um what's you seem really active in the online community um so what's your experience been like well as far as the the lit scene, I've always been online. I grew up with computers because my dad worked with computers, so he's. I've always been really up with technology. But for the lit community, I started 2018 is when I found the community when it was still fledgling, really. And it's very up and down, especially recently. It's a case of you've kind of got to find your people because. There is a lot of politics that I don't think people either want to know about or they don't see it in some ways. No, I totally agree. Um, I think part of the problem is, on the one hand, it's really good that so much of the community is online because it just connects us all. Um, And it's always good to connect to other writers there's not too much of a writing scene here in Hull um so I think it is really good to be online and talk to people that way but I think where the problems come in is that it's such a kind of microcosm and people have such strong opinions they maybe forget that they're talking to real people and I think people can be very harsh online where perhaps they wouldn't be if they were standing face to face with someone. That's exactly that's exactly right because there's recently it's been an experience I've had where you find people who treat being online as a game like it's not mm. real like it's almost like you can say whatever you want because it's the internet it's not real when it is very much real and I think I think the thing is what people forget is you're not you're not allowed to make mistakes online it's very Mm. much two extremes where you either can you know if you make a really big mistake it's for all to see but also you're you know you get all the opinions from people and you're ostracized whereas in real life you know well not real life but the you know off in person online (laughs) yeah in person you would maybe perhaps see more forgiveness than you would online. And everything's permanent online as well. If you put something out there on the internet, it's there forever. Whereas in, you know, real life, um, if we're going to call it that, people forget, but there's no forgetting online. Yeah, and I think think as well as people in um, the non-online world tend to remember that people can have bad days or... They can say things they don't mean in, you know, in the heat of the moment. But online, if you say something like, you know, defamatory or you say something you wouldn't normally, it immediately becomes a judgment of your character. And you're immediately, you know, basically destined to never come back from it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I know with my online presence, 
um, rightly or wrongly, I do sort of just show one side of myself. Um, I don't really say anything inflammatory online because I suppose I don't really have any inflammatory opinions. But um, if you're only showing one side of yourself, you're not a you're not coming across as a multi-dimensional person. So like you say, if someone's having a bad day, that doesn't come across online. You just come across as a horrible person. <laughs> and I think that's almost like baiting these, um, I don't know if you call them trolls or... Yeah, it's it's case of pe- a lot of people create characters online where they're either narcissists and they talk about all the material things and that's kind of their stick really where mm. like offline people tell them where to go and people definitely say something yeah and I don't necessarily understand this creating a persona because we all have a small persona in that when we're performing we're becoming a more advanced version of ourselves where for example this interview I'm quite shy so this is essentially a bit of a heightened persona for me but yeah. there are some people that create a full-on persona that's maybe not themselves but they don't show that and it's a case of creating these inflammatory opinions to create engagement yeah it all comes down to engagement at the end of the day which is quite depressing (laughs) um I saw one of your essays on your substack it was about shit posters um the problem of shit posters how they don't perhaps appreciate the effect that their words have um which is kind of what we've been talking about what would you define as a shit poster? Like, who is that person? Well, g- generically, the shit poster term is used for people who just make silly comments that are usually humorous. But at the moment, the shit poster tends to be the person where the, the contrarians really. So they post, you know, opinions where they know it's going to get them engagement. They know people are going to bulk at the notion or suggestion of whatever they're saying and so that's the tend what they tend to do and they also tend to gaslight well gaslight's probably not not the right word but manipulate people into believing that oh you're creating this image of me based on what I tweet but that's exactly what people are going to do is base a judgment off what you provide yeah I know I agree and I think part of why it's such an issue in the writing community is um, because every I've, I've, people write for a lot of different reasons, but if you're putting your stuff out there to get published, people ultimately want to be noticed. They want their words to be read. They want to achieve some level of success. And I think in order to be successful as a writer now, you almost have to brand yourself and um which a lot of people do online you've got to it seems like you've got to be likable as a person so people invest in you as a person and then once they're invested they'll be more they'll they'll be more inclined to read your work when you have stuff published so I wonder if it's just people taking it to the extreme with branding and sort of losing sight of why they started writing in the first place and just sort of becoming little online monsters. <laughs> I mean, that could very well be the case. And it's definitely, you definitely have to have a brand as a writer. It's, it comes with the job essentially. But I think there's good branding and there's bad branding because the good branding is where 
you know, you promote yourself or you talk about yourself and what you like. But then the bad branding is where you come up with this inflammatory or this character that is essentially very hollow. It's very porcelain, you know, it's mm. easily uh, crackable. And I think people lose sight. I think the thing is with being online is the anon- anonymity of it, of being where even though you've got your picture there, it's still in a distance from actually facing somebody and talking yeah. to somebody. So you get carried away, you know, in the heat of the moment. I've done it in the heat of the moment. I've said things where you wouldn't normally say, and then yeah. you delete it after because you think, oh, I really shouldn't have said that. And you do get carried away because you can't see the person you're talking to. No, I agree completely. It's people taking it to the extreme and becoming these caricatures. And then I've probably fallen for it myself as well, where you do end up getting drawn into things. And then you take a step back and you're like, why am I even doing anything? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think what it leads to a lot of the time is this whole notion of like the call out culture or cancelling someone yeah have you had any kind of experience with like I know you haven't been cancelled <laughs> but any God, kind of not experience <laughs> with all of that I've definitely seen it online and it's it's definitely a fine line because there are certain points where people do need to be held accountable for their behavior but it's it's a very fine line where it, beco- it becomes quite pile on quite quickly and I think mm. people need to remember that while the person you're aiming at might have done something wrong they're still a person where they could end up being suicidal severely from just I mean I always picture that if you're out on the street and you see the person who's done you wrong and then you gather 30 more people to come and stand around you stand around them and just shout things at them it would become a nightmare but online it's seen as holding people accountable when Partly that was the aim, but it turns into something completely different. Yeah, God, when you put it like that, with that visual, that's really sort of dystopian. (laughs) And I think perhaps the problems come in when people don't deserve it. Um, I've seen people attempt to cancel people for just a difference of opinion, for... say the the person doesn't have any problematic opinions but they're just on different pages and people will suddenly try to dox them or cancel them and in that in that scenario I think it's completely overboard and and it doesn't need to be done I do feel a bit conflicted on it though um because I think if someone is problematic and they are causing distress within our community um I do think people should be called out and held accountable. Um, it's just, I guess, the degree to which it happens or the way in which it happens. Yeah, people definitely need to be held accountable. But I think the difference is, is perhaps have the conversation privately first. And then mm. also it's a case of about what we were talking about earlier, which is you can never come back from it because if you're cancelled, people talk nowadays, especially yeah. in magazines. And so one magazine will tell another magazine about this certain person. And I'm not talking serious like serious things because that's a different matter. But in yeah. general, so people talk. So you end up where you're still trying to publish your work, but you can't because 
you're being, you know, ostracized for a bad day or something you shouldn't have said. Yeah. As opposed to actual, like, you know, photos that you shouldn't send, anything that's sort of serious like that. Yeah. That's obviously a different matter. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's it, really. It comes down to two types of person, the person who does deserve it and the person who doesn't. Um, because like you say, lit mags do talk. <laughs> and um, <laughs> with us all being online, it it's a big community, but in a way it feels quite small because um, because it can be quite cliquish. And I do yeah. try to ignore um, a lot of... I, I see people on Twitter who are constantly calling people out and there's always drama with a set of certain magazines and I try to ignore that because it's just noise to me, to be honest. Um, the only time where I have sort of sat up and took notice of it, small anecdote, there's one person who I've had to blacklist from Idolink and it happened because um, someone called him out online and if it had just been one person, I would have ignored it. But it was quite a lot of female editors of different magazines were saying that this person had been submitting his poetry to them regularly. But then when he would get when the work would get declined, he would turn nasty and he would send more poetry. But he would so in the poems themselves he would embed details about these editors like their names their addresses so yeah. it it was really sinister and so this person he had been submitting to Ida Link regularly for a couple of years and I'd never accepted any of his poems um purely because they just weren't right for Ida Link the ones that he sent in um, but after I heard that, I had to really sort of sit down and think, well, I haven't had any experience myself um, with this person doxing me in this really weird, creepy way. But if there's this many female editors saying it, I don't really want to work with a writer like that. And I think the only reason he perhaps didn't do it to me is because my pen name is gender neutral. Um, I don't use my full first name. I, I obviously just go by JL. So he perhaps didn't realise that I was a woman. <laughs> um, so I did make the decision to just, the next time he submitted his work to me, I just sent back a very brief email and said, I'm sorry, but you've been blacklisted because of the way that you um that you conduct yourself with other female magazine editors. So I think in that case, the fact that he was called out online, it helped me make a difficult decision to, to blacklist him. Um, obviously, I didn't pile on or, you know, release a string of horrible, angry tweets or anything. But I think in that case, because he was problematic, it helped me identify that and not let him into the to the idle link inner circle. Um, but it, like you say, it's when people don't deserve it that it becomes a problem. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know exactly you mean as well. Um, there is yeah. another one who sends um, photos of, should we say, the lower area. <laughs> and I have had an email from him as well. So I wrote a block him. Um and I think it's definitely 
like things like that. But I think people behave differently online because in on the outside world, the non-virtual world, generally if someone is a problem to you, tell somebody else in person. But online, everything is voiced publicly for the most part instead of privately, although think these things do get sold privately. Everything it's like a speaker. So, mm. you know, you have you have the little um subsection of the private messages, but everything's a speaker. So it's kind of like living in, you know, the Hunger Games, where like, you know, the the population gets shout shouted out, or somebody says, Oh, this person has done this to so many people. And we're the audience, like the bit, you know, it's like soapboxes are being in a theatre and having the spotlight on you. Yeah, it, it's every man for himself almost. <laughs> it is definitely a, a wild place, but it's it's definitely um, a different... It, it's also the same because it's an extension of our world, but it's also very different in, a, you know, in the same sense. Yeah, it's kind of like a funhouse mirror. It is a, a reflection, but not a particularly accurate one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if this is an issue for you, but with me being on Twitter um, a lot, part of the problem I find is um, competitiveness within the community. <laughs> and the thing that I really struggle with is um, people constantly posting how many publications they've had. Um, I get so envious of people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a real problem have, have you do you deal with that as well no I, t- I totally understand you because I was actually talking to someone about this earlier and I was mentioning that I was going to bring this up anyway because <laughs> it's it's become like you'll see um tweets from people going oh I wrote so many words today and yes. oh I'm getting published in this I'm getting published in that oh it's so nice to be paid for your work and I was talking about the acts of actual writing competitions, which is what I'm going to write about on my Substack, which is where, you know, you're paying for somebody else to win. But also yeah. it pits everybody against each other. Like there's, you know, like it's not art anymore. It's this commodity. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. I really dislike writing competitions. I've never entered one. So I promise it's not that I just keep losing them. <laughs> but I just it's like you say the idea of paying to enter a contest so that someone so that you're putting up the prize fund essentially it just doesn't sit right with me yeah and I find that as well when you speak out against these things people just they don't really understand it or they just kind of brush you off and it's like people then the people who win tend to put it in their bios like they'll say oh award-winning poet or I won this award or I was long listed for this and it's kind of like it's sort of putting yourself above other writers in a way like even if I did win a competition it's like I wouldn't put award-winning poet in my bio because <laughs> it's just like it's the moral you know the moral sense of it. it's just a weird like the whole yeah. concept of it is just strange to me. I personally I would cringe saying that about myself like introducing myself as an award winner like <laughs> I don't think I could do it um haven't won any awards anyway so it's not an issue <laughs> yeah me either <laughs> but um yeah I awards competitions they're quite similar to to me really um because I think writing is so subjective and 
there's stories that I've passed on for Idolink that have then gone on to get published somewhere else. And so they should, because just because I don't personally get a story doesn't mean it's bad. Um, it just means that it's not right um, for Idolink. I don't really subscribe to that whole sort of pitting things against each other in the arts community and I don't put any Idolink writers forward for awards like pushcarts or anything like that because I just don't agree with it I think if writers want to do that if they want to enter competitions or, or whatever good on them and I hope they win but it's just not for me <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely I've just I've entered writing competitions I've wasted so much money on them I uh, just kind of give up because it's it's like I don't know it's just I hate the pitting people against each other and I hate this idea and then to describe yourself as in like your author bio as an award-winning poet just seems so silly and so narcissistic as though because you're placing the award as though that means oh I'm better writer than you yeah you, know, you can be proud of it don't get me wrong you know you can be proud of it and that's all well and good but I suppose it's the then describing yourself specifically that I have won an award for writing and you haven't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if people want to do it, I I get that they're I get why people do it, because it is a competitive industry and you've got to set yourself aside uh, apart from other people, other writers. But for me, I just it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I wanted to ask as well. I can I see that you do you seem to do quite a lot of like in-person events, like write um poetry readings and things like that. Do you prefer to do things in person as opposed to online? Uh well, it's relatively a new I only started doing in person. Uh, the first one I did was just before the pandemic hit. Mm. Um and then I started them last year, but I generally I'm quite shy, so I like doing them. But I think I think they're on equal footing now because I'm getting used to them more, like speaking in public. But I think for being at home, I think I'm more myself and I can actually feel yeah. like I'm writing my own kind of thing rather than when I'm out. I feel like I tend to read really shy. I sort of look at my phone and just sort of look down and then <laughs> I have this really quiet voice sometimes. Yeah, I that's my sort of stumbling block with it as well because... I mean, there isn't much going on in Hull in the way of live events for for writers. There's a couple, but, you know, I think you probably have more choice in Manchester or Leeds or somewhere like that. But I'm quite an anxious person. So the idea of, like, having to do a reading in person, in public, I think I'd really struggle with that. I've done it a couple of times, but I stammer a lot and I look down a lot and I'm just generally awkward. <laughs> Yeah, that's generally usually the case, I think. Yeah, I guess writers in general are quite anxious people. <laughs> usually are, yeah. I thought we could end with a reading of Junebug, which was your poem that came out in Idolink earlier this year. Yeah, that's great, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, so... Um, I'll give a little bit of an intro as to why I published this poem. Um, I thought that might be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so firstly, the form was quite interesting because it's a villanelle. I hope I'm saying that right. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, which I hadn't come across before. It's a sort of a, a poetry form, which is it has this very strange uh, repetition aspect to it, and it's quite hypnotic almost. Um, and the words, the language that you actually used, um, again, it was just like had this strange dreamlike quality to it. It conjured up a really vivid scene, but also really vivid emotions as well. And given that because there's so because so many lines are repeated, there actually was very few unique sentences in the poem. So I thought it was quite cool that you managed to to convey something so strongly with so few words. Um, and it pops into my head all the time. <laughs> so I really love this poem. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely really hard to write because there are some that I've written where I just think that it sounds really boring because you've got such strict... That's why I usually do free verse because you've got such strict parameters on the repetition and you've got to remember that that part will be repeated so is it interesting enough for it to yeah. be repeated so it normally I write poems quite quickly but those ones take me about an hour because I'm still trying to figure out which part goes where and then I'm remembering like oh no I put that in the wrong the wrong spot yeah it's almost like an equation working out how to write this kind of poem <laughs> yeah and I didn't pass math so that that's just so <laughs> So what what actually inspired this poem for you? Um, generally, probably, I think, grief, because, um, well, you know from the email, which was I met uh, an editor during the pandemic, Stuart Ansel, uh, who was the editor of Don Lit magazine. Mm-hmm. And we ended up forming a relationship. Um, and he passed, sadly passed away in December, which we didn't get to meet in oh, person. So after that, I was definitely really, you know, even still definitely grieving. So I think that um, really sort of cemented it. And then I was also reading Plath because I love Sylvia Plath. And she's done two villanelles, I think, from from memory. Um, And I thought it was an interesting form. And I don't usually do strict form poetry. So I thought I'd try it, but I ended up really liking it. That one in particular anyway. Yeah, the effort definitely paid off. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll shut up and stop fangirling now, but I just really love this poem. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'll let you take it away. And, and this is Junebug by Courtney Shembury Gray. With Bambi eyes all aflutter, I drink from the well of men. A paper lantern hangs from every bloody coat hanger. Under the cloak of 6am, I am to be born again. Lost in a Junebug cocktail, I fall for a Parisian. He bought me roses and I threw them in anger. With Bambi eyes all aflutter, I drink from the well of men. You know, I think about you every now and then. For a red-blooded man, you were plastered in manner. Under the cloak of 6am, I am to be born again. To my dirty photographs, you would say Trebien. Rubbing coconut rum into skin, I would yammer. With Bambi eyes all aflutter, I drink from the well of men. Darling, I need you like I need goddamn medicine. Inside a chrysalis, I preach grief-stricken slander. Under the cloak of 6am, I am to be born again. You left me with echoes of nonchalant and a regret 
With starry thighs and coal miner skies, I languor. With bambi eyes all flutter, I drink from the well of men. Under the cloak of 6am, I am born again. Beautiful. This is what I mean when I say you're like a writer from a different decade. (laughs) You don't get romance like that anymore. (laughs) Um, So to finish off, uh, is there anything you want to promote? Any social media projects? Um, Well, I'm creating a collection of poetry called The Maggot on Maple Street uh, with Anxiety Press. And because I get overwhelmed trying to do a collection in one, I tend to add a poem every now and then. So we're aiming for January of next year. Um, and then also the Substack, which is the Maple Moon, as you mentioned before. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Courtney Wrights, Instagram at the same username. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the current stuff. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for being my first ever guest. Um, I think it went all right, really. I think so. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was great. No, of course. Um, So that is it for us today. I'll be back in another week with another writer, another idol inker. Um, Hopefully that'll that'll go as well as this one. Um, But yeah, for now, it's goodbye from both of us. Bye.